0: Dismantling systemic oppression. Strengthening local economies. Fostering equity and inclusion. Cultivating communities for social good. We are motivated to leave the world a more just and compassionate place than we found it. A lofty goal? Maybe. An unreachable goal? Absolutely not. This is Impact Out Loud. The podcast that empowers bold impact for good. Powered by Prospera Partners. Your hosts, Vicky Pazabon. Eileen Everett and Ray Miller aren't pulling any punches. They are diving deep, unpacking the challenges facing the nonprofit and social sectors, what is and isn't working, and offering systems level solutions to address the truly transformational leadership that's needed for social enterprises to better their communities. This is the Impact Out Loud podcast. Now here are your hosts.
1: Everybody, welcome back to Impact Out Loud. Looking forward to digging into our topic today, which is the value of place. We're going to talk about it and Ray is going to share a lot of her wisdom with us about community planning and community development planning and urban planning. So we're going to dig into that in a minute. But we thought we'd start off a little different today and move our aha and what the fuck moment to the very top of the show. <laughs> To get it out of the way, because Eileen and I have both experienced my what the fuck today was the traffic disaster snarl on our freeways in Albuquerque and super annoying. And I'm one of those people who actually appreciates construction and the rebuilding of our roads and infrastructure, (laughs) but because it's necessary for, you know, keeping our civilizations going. But it was really super annoying and people- People are just kind of annoying, right? When you get into those situations. (laughs) So that's my moment was this morning, my what the fuck. Eileen, how was your drive in?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'll I'll just build upon that because that was my WTF was around traffic. And I pulled up because it's so interesting to watch people's behavior and connecting things that might, not seem like there's a connection, but people's driving behaviors have changed the last few years during the pandemic. And I pulled up this article from the New York Times called Vehicle Crashes Surging. And the data that they share in this article talks about um, data from the summer of 2019 compared to the summer of 2020 per capita vehicle deaths, so fatalities from vehicular accidents, rose 17.5% in that time period, which is counter to people were actually driving less in the summer of 2020 and in the spring of 2020. Mm-hmm. And cars are safer than they've ever been. So, what's on my mind is Kind of the WTF around linking all of these things and how people drive is also an expression of their mental state and mental Mm -hmm. well-being. And people are more aggressive and not paying attention and drifting over in lanes. It's causing accidents and leading literally to deaths. So that's kind of what's on my mind is thinking about how our mental well-being comes out maybe in some unexpected ways, including on the roads.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
3: For sure. Ray. how about you? (laughs) Yes, this all resonates. I feel like this is something I spend a lot of time thinking of, and I probably could come up with a lot of WTFs around how we've developed in this country. And I think I just want to use that to open up into what we're going to talk about today. Like Vicky said, we're going to talk about place and the value of place And for those who don't know, I think I've said it before, but I did go to school for urban planning and that was very transformational for me. I was always like a social justice minded person, but actually got a chance to root that in place. And that really opened a lot of my thinking up for me. And I feel like there's many different (laughs) ways to approach talking about it, but it's something that I feel like I'm on this Soapbox all the time of it's not talked about enough. And I think everybody needs some sort of urban planning knowledge to understand why we're in the place that we're at. And I do want to share, my friend shared a meme yesterday, and it says, Every friend group needs someone who constantly talks about how you need to build places for people instead of just cars. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's me. <laughs> like, that's me all the time.
1: It is you. And I always appreciate when you bring it into our conversations with clients or even when we're facilitating community of practice work, um, you always bring in that idea of creating spaces human spaces and how do we create those human spaces for community to truly happen
3: absolutely and uh as i was thinking about this today i wrote down that we have to look back in order to look forward and if we look at the history of our cities that is so eye opening to how we got to this place today even in a lot of our conversations, we talk about things like systemic oppression, systemic racism, the patriarchy, things like that. And in that same vein of we're getting better at having these conversations, it's still not always getting contextualized into place and and how that has been, yeah, impacted daily. Like, for example, like a lot of our highway development, I don't think a lot of people know that a lot of times that took cutting right through neighborhoods, and often the neighborhoods that they were choosing were the poor neighborhoods, the black neighborhoods, brown neighborhoods, right? Anyone who was not like white, affluent, and protected was subjected to development that they didn't get a say in. Um, We're also very reactionary. Uh, This country hasn't been the best at a long-term thinking I started my education in 2007, which is now feels like a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And then it was like this constant narrative of we're experiencing massive population growth and we're not ready for it. And it was like repeated, repeated, repeated. And here we are in 2023 and we're not ready for it, right? Like housing is an issue, traffic is an issue, water resources are an issue and and it's all connected
1: and I can I just interrupt you for a minute yes, because please. that for me brings up what has happened over the last 3 years with the pandemic and people leaving city centers to get out of those city centers and come to more rural and smaller communities and the impact that that has had on smaller communities and those that lack the infrastructure to support that kind of influx of traffic and people i mean it's not just it's not just road infrastructure it's some of our cities and small towns don't have enough service providers, like literally the gas stations and the grocery stores and the things that you need on a regular daily basis, right? And when more and more people start moving into those areas, that's a burden on those communities.
2: And and a whole other pathway for us to go on, go down on another podcast is water,
1: Mm, Oh, boy.
2: You know, I mean, talk about (laughs) in the Southwest. I mean, water has been an ongoing conversation for decades, Mm -hmm. but people are still moving to rural areas in the Southwest um, and urban areas without much forethought for water right now. And especially how human caused climate change is affecting water resources. I mean, all these things, water, Mm -hmm. traffic. Um, infrastructure. And even Ray, like what you were saying, like the history, people don't know the histories. And we can still see some of that playing out today. Evidence of that, of, I mean, think of your closest urban area. The wealthiest neighborhoods aren't the ones that are adjacent to highways. They're the ones that are furthest away, generally away from the traffic and the noise and all of the, and
3: pollution and all of it. Absolutely. And I feel like we use multiple truths all the time. And I feel like there's so much multiple truths embedded. And I think that comes into like the complexity of thinking about urban planning. Like a lot of people don't know what it is, right? Especially when I was in school for undergrad. I'd be like, I'm in school for urban planning. And so many people were like, What is that? What is that? And it's a lot of things, right? It is water management, it is transit, it is housing, it is community and civic engagement, right? There's like all these pieces that, you know, that's the complexity of our cities. That is the diversity of people engaging with community. And I guess one thing, like kind of thinking about what you were saying too, Vicky, of, you know, people moving around and not being prepared for it, things like that. It brings in this idea of gentrification as well, which has been, you know, really heightened, Again, probably since I started college so in the last like 15 years or so, we've seen, you know, in the 50s, there was white flight, suburbanization, like fleeing cities. Mm-hmm. And by the time I got to college, there was kind of this resurgence and, and pull back into our urban environments. Um, but there wasn't necessarily a level of uh, respect or responsibility in that. And I think that's where you're seeing some of this negative outcome and pushback, especially from people who've been in the communities, especially if I think of I just moved back here from the Bay Area. I mean, that is a place that's really been hit hard where I'm from Cincinnati originally, and there's some neighborhoods that definitely were impacted by gentrification, but you could most likely move to another neighborhood in a place like the Bay Area. It's pushing people completely out of the area and and how Impactful as that. Like, you can't even live near your families anymore. And again, to bring in the multiple truths, I'm somebody who believes everyone should be able to live somewhere. Like, I'm somebody who's been a bit transient and on the receiving end of, like, well, you haven't been here, you didn't grow up here. And I don't think that makes me less of a community member. If anything, I think that's heightened my own personal responsibility. And I think I mentioned this on one of the last podcasts. I don't show up to community expecting it to serve me, which it could, <laughs> but I also come in knowing I have to get curious. I have to know my neighbors. I have to know the history of the place and maybe see where I can get involved and and see what things are possible. Um, and that scale is large and small, you know, depending on, you know, where you have access to things or what you're involved with. Mm hmm.
1: I'm curious,
2: you know, around this idea of getting curious about place and where we live. I mean, I think all all three of us... Um, New Mexico is our chosen home, but we weren't born and raised here. And and I think back to my own experience of I, I didn't choose uh, to be born and raised in New Jersey. And I'm super grateful for my time there. And I chose to then move. And I've lived in New Mexico longer than any other place in, in my life in terms of number of years. I feel very connected to this place. And so I'm curious, Ray and Vicki, what does it mean to get curious about place?
1: Mm, that's a great question. I was thinking about that today, too, as I was driving. <laughs> um, the commute, for those who are listening, between Albuquerque and Santa Fe is about an hour long. And it's beautiful landscape. I mean, it's a very um, uninterrupted landscape. It's, it's not developed. There's Pueblo communities all along the um, stretch on either side of the freeway and you see for miles and miles and miles. And I was thinking about that. That's an important piece for me is that it is open spaces, right? I've I grew up in Toronto. I was born in Northern Ontario, Canada, in the woods, on a lake, on Lake Superior, in fact. Um, and so I had that experience of growing up in a very, um, Rural but vacation kind of community. And we were the only, not the only, but a handful of the only um, year round residents in that community. And that was certainly an interesting experience of place because we saw that place differently than those who came to vacation in the summer or only came out for a few days in the wintertime. So very different to be rooted year-round in that kind of place, and then moving to Toronto as a teenager and a whole different experience of city life and public transportation like I had never experienced in my life. And suddenly I felt like the entire world had opened up to me because of cultures and because of the access to public transportation and being able to jump on a bus on a subway and get to one of the best libraries in the world was like uh, pff, my mind was blown as a teenager. It was my favorite place to go um, and hide out on a Saturday. So that's my little secret that my family doesn't even know that I used to do that. They were like, where were you all day? I'm like, I was at the mall. I wasn't. I was at the library in downtown Toronto, but I didn't want my family to know that I'd taken the subway as a teenager. So, um, you know, different, different places have different value to you. And New Mexico, to me, it also is the longest place that I've lived. And that is a choice. Um, And it's because of those wide open spaces, the amazing culture, the beautiful people, we have amazing food. And it feels to me like home, like nowhere else I've ever lived in some ways. And for me, that's kind of weird to define, like what is home? And for me, it's because I've found a community here in a way that makes sense to me. And I just feel, I feel like I bought into New Mexico and New Mexico bought into me, if that makes sense. I don't know how else to explain it. But you know, when you move somewhere and you're like, nah, this case, uh, I don't know if this place actually likes me. You know, you don't always feel like it's a good fit. And I just felt like New Mexico was a good fit for me.
3: Well, I kind of want to connect... Things that you were both talking about and I was just laughing because I feel like I've had the opposite reaction in most places like I've I'm maybe opposite from both of you where I've never lived in one place long and I as much as I don't aspire to be uber transient it just keeps happening and. So, yeah, I I don't always relate to that, like, this is 100% the place. And maybe it has to do, like, you know, I'm the child of divorce. I'm also Jewish, right? There's this, like, theme of kind of uprooting. Um, But I kind of want to get back to, like, Eileen's question of, like, getting curious. And also you were bringing in things like transit, too, and open spaces. And it just makes me think of something we use a lot two of not getting stuck in what's old and thinking about what's possible and a topic that's actually become a little bit more mainstream. And unfortunately, because there's been some conspiracy theories around it, is this idea of a 15 minute city. And we learned about this idea in school of right, uh, maybe an ideal or an aspirational neighborhood is knowing that you have everything of your basic needs within like a 10 or 15 minute walk or bike ride. So that might be post office, library, grocery store, things like that. And, and to know that it's accessible and you don't have to get in a car to go there. And I really feel like that's so freeing. And that's kind of what you were touching on Vicky as well. Right. Um, you know, small towns have their value and rural spaces have their value and it's not to discount that. I also think that there is kind of this empowerment in a lot of our urban environments to know that you are free to explore and a car kind of weighs you down in that space, right? You have to think about parking. Is there going to be traffic? Things like that. Um, I think there's some quote that's like, bringing a car into the center of the city is like putting your bathtub in the kitchen. Like it just, (laughs) you can do it, but it like doesn't really make sense. New Yorkers
1: have been doing that for a long time. (laughs) I've been to apartments in New York city where the bathtub shower was literally in the kitchen.
3: Right. You can do it, but does it make sense? I don't know.
1: Maybe not.
3: (laughs) And you were talking about open spaces as well. And I think about Europe and places like that, where, once you're outside of these like dense environments, it just opens up right away, right? You don't see this like sprawling development that we have a lot in this country. And I will say, I think New Mexico is unique in that there is an abundance of open space. And and maybe a lot of the middle of the country looks like that, right? There's like huge open space. But again, if I look at like Ohio, Cincinnati, where I'm from, it's really hard to get away from development. Like you're going to go from the city into the suburbs to what they call the exurbs. And then you, it just like, and then you're all the way in Dayton. And you're like, what? I'm like 50 minutes from Cincinnati and development hasn't stopped the entire way. And that connects back to what we were even talking about with like water conservation, being able to access things, right? Like, so it's all interconnected. And I don't think people always make that connection either. Like transit can mean preserving our open spaces and, Transit can also mean affordable housing, which is like another thing that people don't think about. Um, because again, it's access. So, right now, our cities have become hyper inflated in the core because that is what is accessible. And so, now those who can't afford to be in the city are further out with less access to transit and have to like take on that burden. Where if there was more development, like there's development always at transportation stops. And then the last thing I'll say in the like, trying to get creative about how we think about our future. And again, thinking about something like transit, it is again, taking a complexity mindset because something we know as like planners or people who look into transit is public transportation is not profitable. It's very hard to be profitable. It probably won't be profitable and it's only getting more expensive. So the average citizen won't vote for transit because of that, but it kind of compounds into the thing that I was talking about. And what we know is this like larger impact. Like if we think about economic development, it's not just like bringing big businesses in, it's just making it so economies can thrive in different places. Like you want to be able, again, back to the 15 minute sit- neighborhood, Every neighborhood, it would be great if you had a grocery store and a post Mm -hmm. office and like these basic needs so you didn't have to get in the car and find the parking spot and sit in the traffic.
1: So you're getting me all riled up because (laughs) this goes to my background in local economies. And there's a great book by my friend, Stacey Mitchell, called The Big Box Swindle. And it is all about how big box stores are designed to divide us, and they are designed to extract resources out of communities. They, are, they were primarily uh, built in suburbs and rural communities in order to extract, quote, provide a service to those communities. But what they're doing is extracting them in those communities. And it created a divide in community, in human scale community, because people no longer went to their post office or their corner store or whatever it is that was in their small downtown main street to do their daily thing. There's this great chapter in the book that I will never forget. I read the book a long time ago, but it's about how the post office, the corner store, the place where you go buy your newspaper and your cup of coffee was where you ran into people in your community and where you got the local town talk right? And you found out about what was going on and it was where you ran into people and you knew people. And now those folks no longer have that available to them because of an extractive economy. Those businesses shut down because they were unable to compete as a local mom and pop store. And now those folks have to go to a big box store, which provides all of those services in one place. And who are you running into? Not your neighbor's. And if you're running into your neighbors, it's, you're not hanging out, right? So it's a very um, extractive business model. And that is what we've been dealing with for the past 25, 30 years with the development of those types of big box stores in our communities.
3: And comes back to the lack of long-term thinking, right? right. Because Absolutely. now those Walmarts are closing, right? Like, so and, now it's like a full full circle.
1: Closing <laughs> and now they are developing small, quote, neighborhood markets where they're now competing with small urban grocery stores, right? which is now putting those grocery stores out of business. So, and they have the resources to be able to figure all this out.
3: Right, and could be a commentary on gentrification because mm-hmm. more like privileged white folks are in cities, and they want to target right. more than they want like your corner store. Mm-hmm. And I see Eileen there, so I'm gonna. Yeah, <laughs> see what you and I'm gonna say. bring it
2: back to the 15 minute city too, which is this both and just thinking about transit. I'm someone who's been a huge advocate of. Access to public transportation, I used to ride the bus and take, we have a train that goes between Albuquerque and Santa Fe, and those were my modes of transportation for many years. And they were really great and accessible to use. A lot of people weren't using them at the time, and it was kind of like, why aren't more people using this? It's affordable, great. Most of the time, those things ran on time. I think there's also this piece, though, and I mean, how do we have access to transit and not lose the piece of the conversation of the lens that I want to bring it back to is thinking about open space in the outdoors. And I think there's been a lot of movements. Locally, as well as nationally, around how do we have access to transit to bring people to open space? And I think it should be the opposite, which is how do we bring open space to people? Amen. Rather (laughs) than provide a bus that brings people somewhere. I mean, we're really fortunate in New Mexico. Albuquerque has some incredible open space, we have more open space per capita in Albuquerque than most other cities and it's not evenly distributed. Mm -hmm. So people who have less wealth, lower income neighborhoods, do tend to have less open space than other areas. So how do we actually change that equation to have that 15-minute city of making sure that people have access to the things that really should be basic human rights, access to clean air, access to clean water, open space, access to health care, without having to depend upon public transportation? So it's like, how do we balance both of those things, ensure that we can move people from point A to point B in an efficient, affordable way as well as how do we make sure that those things like what you all were saying too of how do we have the local bodegas Mm -hmm. that are supported that people can walk to as well
0: Mm -hmm.
3: and I know we're getting close to time so maybe I'll throw in my closing thought of knowing that so much comes back to how much our systems are purely driven by profit and things like public space and community space aren't on the surface level, profitable. So they're not incentivized in the mainstream way, right? Like sometimes a stadium is incentivized because they call it an economic development tool. And I have to question that, but that's a whole other tangent (laughs) I could go on. But like, we need those spaces like you're talking about, Eileen. like we need, I think Vicky was bringing up too, like you have to have those organic moments to just be a part of your community without that like, Full intentionality every single time. Like we did have more closeness and I think we can get there again, but it's like we can't just put everything as like profit maximization because we're diluting these things that I know connect to our humanness and what Mm. fills us up in spaces. Mm
1: hmm. Mm hmm.
2: I'm going to throw into that. My closing thought is really, we need more spaces for these conversations, uh, Yeah. right? Because it's these conversations that all of a sudden it's like, oh, I never thought, Ray just said something. I never thought of that. Oh, Vicki just added a perspective. Wow. Let me think about how that connects to what I was thinking about. We need more of these spaces for conversations.
1: Yeah. And my closing thought is about the third space, which is often a coffee shop where people are outside of their home, outside of the workspace, and they can hang out and have these conversations. So what is that third space? And how do we have more of that kind of an opportunity for a third space? And I wanna give a shout out to the bodega because (laughs) I did a great project in Newark, New Jersey many years ago, and there were two teenage boys who came to our community convening who dreamed of having a bodega where they could come and hang out and get a really good smoothie. That's all these two guys wanted. They were athletes and they said, you know what? We just want to go and hang out at a bodega with a little cafe where we can get a smoothie and hang out with our buddies. And it was such a great visioning session because of their voices in that space. So shout out to the bodega for holding that down in some of our communities. All right. Well, thank you both. Thank you, Ray, for dropping some knowledge with us today. And next session, we're actually going to talk about the value of workplace and what that means and how it ties back to all of this. So tune in to our next episode and we will see you next time on Impact Out Loud.
0: Thank you for listening to the Impact Out Loud podcast, the podcast that empowers bold impact for good, powered by Prospera Partners. If you liked what you heard, Subscribe to Impact Out Loud wherever you get your podcasts and follow Prospera Partners on your favorite social media. If you are inspired to make community-based solutions and systems change, Prospera Partners offers workshops and programs that are open to all. For more information, visit prosperapartners.org. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, be well and do good.